And for anybody who gets nervous about these things, there were even two people on either side who kept nodding off. Um, they... <laughs> Welcome to episode 37 of Art Juice with me, Louise Fletcher. And me, Alice Sheridan. We are actually on take two of this episode because we had this fantastic idea that uh, when we were together in my house two days ago, that we would record a live episode and even have a little bit of video so you could see us together in my house. And we're going to share that on social media. Long story short, None of that happened because the technology let us down. Everything went wrong. And so we talked about all this once before, which I think, and didn't. It's really good. It. It, <laughs> but I think that'll mean this will be even better this time because we've practiced. Uh, and talking of practice, what was so frustrating was we did lots of little test videos because we had a new microphone. We, had, we tested it. We got up halfway through to check that it was recording. Everything was working fine until we went, right, we're done. Stop. And then it went, sorry, this yeah. is not recorded. Could not record, it said, because <sighs> I got the same message later myself when I did something else. Could not record, which is fine when you've just done a five minute video as I had done. But when you've done an hour and a half podcast, quite annoying. Yeah, anyway. particularly about this topic. Yes. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today, amongst other things, our main topic is what we've called flying your freak flag or the power of exposing yourself online. And we don't mean exposing, you know, in yourself. But um, we'll get to that shortly. First of all, uh, let's talk about what we've been doing this week, even though we both know what we've been doing this week. <laughs> Why don't we've been in the same place. <laughs> So um, this week I drove up to the Yorkshire Dales where I led the, my first workshop for people. So it was a, was it nerve wracking? I kind of wasn't nervous, but um, there was a sense of anticipation, I suppose, because never having done it before, I wasn't sure that I would have judged the time that we had to do, how people would respond, whether I would have enough time to get to everybody. Um, lovely, lovely, beautiful weather we have in Britain. There was also a degree of unsureness around that. So how to manage that. Um, I'm trying to work out actually if I was feeling anxious about it. I wasn't. I had a lovely and horrendous drive up. It took me six and a half hours to get up there and my leg had kind of gear leg had kind of seized up by the time I got there but I actually had a really enjoyable drive on my own listening to music out loud singing <laughs> <laughs> listening to podcasts it was quite good fun actually I enjoyed it there might be more well there should be more because it really was excellent I'm going to talk about my experience of that when we get to what's inspired I think rather than talking about it now okay um, but it was also I would say a lovely setting a little bit a little bit out of the Yorkshire Dales, so a little bit not quite as dramatic as I would have yeah. loved. Yeah. But but um, somebody's really beautiful house in the middle of nowhere that she puts on occasional workshops in. She said about five a year. Yeah. So if you want to, that's Wildman Studios. So it's not a very built out um, website yet, but there is an Instagram account. So that's probably worth keeping an eye on for. And I know, I think that she's kind of aiming to, to, to build out those workshops. So yeah, very nice setting. And if you do go to one, she feeds you very well. So I thought I keep bringing yeah. up the food because it was really, really Essential. nice food. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but it's essential, you know, you're working hard, you need to be fed. Well, I did have an anxiety provoking thing this week, as you know, because yeah. I had promised about a year ago to almost a year ago to talk to a local art group I guess they really plan in advance and it was one of those things that at the time I thought oh a year in the future Louise can worry about that yes I'll just say yes and then when it got to a year in the future it turned out to be the evening of the second day of your workshop so I had to fly back down home which is about an hour grab something to eat and then go out to this place which is about half an hour away and get set up for my talk and I was quite nervous about it but I'd convinced myself not to be nervous and I was all set they told me just bring a memory stick with images on it and everything else will be set up for you and when I got there I was greeted by a befuddled uh, elderly gentleman who said the lady who normally organizes all this has gone to Italy but um, we don't know how to work the projector so I was wondering if you know anything about computers <laughs> and I was and, there, and by then people were filing in so there were probably 50 people there maybe I'm very bad at counting but there was a row of chairs lying two rows of chairs and people were filing in and if you're not a member of this art club you pay a fee to come to come in so people were paying their money and all the time I was looking at a Windows computer, which I don't use, and yeah. a projector, which I never use. And it was Windows. I don't know if Windows is still like this, or they had an old computer, but you know those old kind with the plugs that screw? To, to plug a projector into the computer, you have a big plastic plug with two screws on either end. Wow. I think, it, I think it's an old wow, one. Wow, that's really old. I think it was old. I recognized it from my way in the past. Yeah. So first of all, it took me 10 minutes to find my own photos on Windows because I was saying, well, where do things appear when you put a memory stick in? He was like, you're asking the wrong person. I'm so oh. sorry. I don't know anything about computers. Anyway, ended up a janitor came and, and lent us a different projector and he knew how to set it up. We got it working. Then the images were awful quality. So by the time they were blown up off this laptop onto this big screen, it was a big room with a big screen. They just looked awful. And I just thought at that point, we were 15 minutes in, I was about to start talking and I thought, this is a disaster. So I might as well just relax about it because it's they can't see anything that I'm showing them. It all just looks like a, <laughs> a I was blurry gonna mess. I say that this is just, this is the same thing, isn't it? Is that the anxiety about it was, was beforehand, was that you didn't know who was going to be there, what their experience was, what they were going to be interested in, how many people there were going to be, what space you would have available. There were yeah. lots of unknowns. And then when you get there in good time, prepared, ready to kind of, you know, settle down nicely and feel like everything's going to, you know, you've got time to get organized, then you're thrown in with this tech kick up. What can you yeah. do at that point? But just get on with it. Yeah. And, and for anybody who gets nervous about these things, that's exactly it. And there were even two people on either side who kept nodding off. Um, they, <laughs> they really did. They were quite elderly, really quite elderly, these two people. And they just kept nodding off. But they, when they woke up, the, the lady seemed like she was trying to listen. The man just seemed like he'd rather be anywhere except there. I think he maybe was there with his wife. But again, I just thought, okay, don't look at them then because they're going to yeah. upset you. That's going to upset you. Look at that person over there looks really interested in everything that you're saying. Or keep looking around the room and finding people look interested. Anyway, long story short, I got through it and they were so nice at the break and, and afterwards coming over and saying thank you. And some people said 
thank you. I don't know. I don't like abstract art, but I was interested in what you said and you, you said it well. And some people said, I, you know, I love abstract art and nobody in this club ever wants to talk about it. So thank you for sharing. The nicest compliment that I got from people was that I was a passionate advocate for what I do and for why I do it. And that was really nice to hear. You know, they got my yeah. enthusiasm. Yeah, because it was a long time, wasn't it? You had to fill two hours, two which hours. is two hours is a lot. Luckily, the 15 minutes mess up took away 15 minutes of uh, what I had to say. <laughs> anyway, so, so I won't be doing it again, but I'm glad that I got through it. But do you know what? There will be something that will come up in the future. You might not yeah. know what it is yet, but there will be some time in the future where that, that will really stand you in good stead. And you didn't back out. You didn't bottle out and you did it. And I didn't let people down because someone, someone who was on your course said that their local art group had a speaker who was supposed to speak, cancelled due to illness at the last minute and everybody at the group slated her apparently and she, had, she got a really bad reputation. But the worst part about that story is a few months later she died. Uh, she really was ill and but I just thought yeah if I cancelled that would be me everybody would be like she's the unprofessional one who didn't show up so yeah so that conversation leads really nicely into this week's main topic because both of us were doing something that's a little bit potentially anxiety creating a little bit new exposing ourselves to something new this topic really came about because we were discussing the ways in which revealing parts of ourselves makes a difference in the ways people can connect to us and it tied in with the previous idea I had had to talk about fly, flying our freak flag. And this is my, my theory that the more different and a little bit weird we are, the more other people can connect to us. So the individual is universal and we'll get into that a bit more. But when Alice was here after the workshop, she came and stayed with us for a couple of nights just so she didn't have to get in the car and trawl back to London immediately and so we could do some art juice planning and we went out for dinner on the first night and we were talking about our lives and and Alice said told me something about herself that I did not know and that made a lot of sense of some other things that I knew about her and so she told me that both of her children were born very prematurely and that uh, life had gone from kind of smooth and relatively mm -hmm. easy to absolute chaos and fear and panic and just a nightmare I can't even imagine yeah really beyond your control yeah not, not just speakers not working yeah like <laughs> really frightening frightening stuff and I already knew that you had suffered from a bout of postnatal depression but now I you know that makes so much more sense not that yeah. it didn't make sense before but now it really just fits into a picture of well no wonder you were feeling awful no wonder you were you know and then we we've talked a little bit about how that works into your painting which I'd like yeah. to talk about but it just struck me as one of those examples of times that and I'm not suggesting that you do this but if that was part of your artist statement mm -hmm. if that if that was the way you described the way the way you work and why you work and what you paint what an, an amazing connection people would feel 
with you, I even get a bit, I'm getting a bit emotional even thinking about it because it was such a powerful thing to hear you talk about. And that might be more than you want to do. But it, it, is it more than you want to do? I don't know. I think it's difficult because I think um, that, that patch when I was coming out of that, that was when I really, I had started going to life classes and things before, but that was when I really started showing my work for the first time. And actually I hadn't, I hadn't really connected the dots. I hadn't joined the two things together. I was simply making paintings as a little bit of a basket weaving therapy just because it was something else to do really I wasn't thinking about deeper meanings behind paintings all I was doing was unscrewing tubes of color and doing small landscape paintings and finding enjoyment in them so it, it wasn't relevant it wasn't it wasn't at all part of the story then it was only a couple of years later that I started to think huh the kind of paintings that I'm really interested in are where there is this mix between something that's a bit chaotic, something that is a bit uncontrolled, and then something that brings a degree of definition and organisation to it. And, you know, you say that I'm a very organised person. Sometimes I am. Sometimes everything's kind of quite scattery all over the place. But so I know that that's something also within myself that that's just me. So it's not surprising that it was coming out in the paintings and in the artwork, but it wasn't there at the beginning. So it never really felt like it was part of the story. And then I think there's also something that when you're in the middle of maybe some of those bigger issues in your life, it's not the right point to be talking about it. I've never really made a secret of the fact that I've had depression because I think a lot of people do. And I know from conversations where... I have seen people visibly relax with approval that they can then talk about the difficult things and the fact that they've experienced the same. And, you know, if that's one of the silver linings of it, that's good with me. So I've never made a secret of it, but equally, I don't want it to be the only thing I talk about. I don't think it defines me. I don't think it's my leading force. I just think it was, it was almost one of the things that woke me up. Mm. So is that, is that part of how I see art and life and all fitting together? It kind of has to be because all our life experiences are, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, um, there's a, a, an artist called Anne Ray who runs an um, online marketing workshop and she had an exercise in a free thing that she did where you had to think about the worst parts of your life or the most traumatic times. It was really good fun. You had to go back all the times when you felt the worst because she said often the reason for why you make art resides in those places. You, have, and you, you need to kind of look back. And that's when I realized that my art was always about connection and spe specifically at the moment to this place where I live. And because I had a 15 years of low level depression. Yeah. Yeah. not not suicidal not I don't want to play it up but every day like a toothache just unhappiness yeah, nagging yeah just from being away and disconnected from my friends from my home from my family I didn't even realize that's what was wrong I didn't even put it together until a few years later and then we started to think about coming home because I realized what was wrong with me I even realized something was wrong with me I suppose and now that drives what I do. But I'm telling you that now and I'm thinking that is not really written anywhere in anything 
on my website, in my blog. I talk about connection to the landscape, but I don't talk about why it's so important. And I don't talk about the loneliness of not having it. But don't you think, again, that's because identifying that for yourself as something that has become clearer during the process of making the work. It's not, it's not, it's a funny thing, this, isn't it? It's not what drives us in the sense that we sit down and go, right, I'm going to make paintings that are about X, Y, and Z, because that's what drives me. And here's the work. It's like, here's the work. Oh, (laughs) now I see why. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thing that's coming out of it. Yeah. Now I get it. But once we realize, or once we put pieces together, and there'll be other things, I'm sure, in two or three years that we'll say, oh, now I get that. It's not like we've got to the end of the road, we've figured it all out, and now we can put out a statement and that'll summarize everything we do from Mm. now till the end of time, because that's not the case. Some other, God forbid, but some other massively life-changing or horrible thing might happen tomorrow and then change everything that we do. But the idea of revealing that to other people, the idea of saying, this is me, and even the bits I'm not proud of, even the bits I feel a bit ashamed of, like a, a little bit, I suppose, shame is a strong word but there's a little bit of me that feels a bit ashamed of well why couldn't I why couldn't I make those connections there why couldn't I you know have built Mm -hmm. friendships there is there something wrong with me why couldn't I fit in in America why did I have to come back here there's a there's always there's a little voice saying are you just like really provincial you know Mm -hmm. you just have to be in this little place because whatever we want or have or think I think we think there's something wrong with that must be yeah everybody else is doing the right thing and I'm getting it wrong but I think saying it out loud to other people and you realize there is no shame in it they just say oh wow that's really interesting or moving or powerful or makes me connect to your work more I wonder how many people are out there trying to put on a a front and hide the things they don't like about themselves when really the things they don't like would be the things that other people would connect to yeah I think you're you're right and but I think that like I say when you're right in the middle of things that are inevitably going to become important a you don't always recognize them for what they are and b you're not in a position to want to talk about them at all so I think it's you don't want to go out and start waving your freak flag like we say (laughs) until you're in a position where you're comfortable with it yourself and I think in terms of feeling like you've got it all together or that you've got to have it all together when I first started doing all this and more importantly working out all the bits about how to make it visible all the bits about putting it online having a website writing blog posts the very first website that I had didn't have my name on at all it was about something totally else. It was anonymous. I didn't even want to write a blog post and put my name to it because I just felt like I was finding my feet. And that was all a natural transition. And certainly when I first put the website together, nobody was looking at it. So there were an awful lot of things on there that are, you know, they were put up as a halfway measure, as a like a placeholder like I don't have a proper logo which is the next graphic designer I kind of know that I should but it's been all right without it and that feeling of 
well, it's not going to be perfect and I can't do everything at once. So I'm just going to do the first thing. And then you realize that it's okay. It's weird. I was thinking about this driving back. It's almost become like, I don't want to go back and make it perfect now. I don't want to make it look too polished and too finished because everything that I've done that's worked has been done on the basis of, well, this is what it is for now and it's going to have to be okay. Like you and your talk. Yeah. You know, I, because it's too tiring to make everything perfect all the time. Yes. And in my past business experience, I had times when we would do something, put it out there, work really hard on making it perfect and then no one wanted it. And when you've worked really hard on making something perfect and you've just got the wrong business idea and no one wants it, that's a real waste of time and energy. It's, it's better to just put something out as, as minimum viable, they call it. Yeah. Minimum yeah. what you can get away with. But all of these things go back to your shame points. So I'm reading um, Brene Brown, Dare to Lead at the moment, which is quite interesting. I'm not going to read the whole, whole bit to you, but it, it's a good read. I haven't read any of her other books. I've seen her TED Talks. If you haven't seen her TED Talk, highly recommend that you watch it. But there's something about reading. It's slower. It's at your pace. You can go through and underline the bits that make sense to you. And when you mentioned shame just now, she talks about shame and how it's kind of connected with, you know, ego and all the things that we do to protect ourselves. And I think some of the stuff that I've spoken about, like making sure your website looks polished, that's, it's a front. And some of it is important because presenting your work as professional is a value that is important to me. It's strong for me. But equally, that feeling of having to be too polished and putting on an impression of somebody that's not me, particularly having come out of this experience, I suppose, of depression and working out how that was going to influence my thinking going forward, I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. So I had to work out, you know, somewhere along that edge where it was okay. And that's probably something that I'm still, I'm still dealing with in other areas of my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's another element to this to this flying your freak flag which I wanted to bring up which is it's not always trauma no. that we that we're hiding sometimes it's what we want to do seems different or unfashionable yep. or not the right thing yep and I was thinking of last year I went to David Tress workshop and he was telling us that he went to a university I think it was in Nottingham where the art program was highly conceptual and he went there because he was interested in becoming a conceptual artist. But pretty much as soon as he got there, he realized he didn't want to do conceptual art. He wasn't yeah. interested. And what he really wanted to do was highly realistic watercolor painting. So that's what he did. And he said, I was like an outcast, you know, mm -hmm. because tutors weren't the right tutors for that. Like no one was interested. All the other students thought, what's he doing with his watercolors of sheep in a field? That's not interesting. But he did it because that's what he was interested in. Yeah. And I was struck listening to him talk about it, that at 19 or however old, 18, 19, that he had the presence of mind to, to be strong enough to go off and do that. I don't think I would have had that. But that's another example of that was an utterly unfashionable thing that he was doing. And there are images of those realistic paintings in his book, if anyone's got his book, uh, the big green book. Yeah. Yeah, link to it in the notes. It's very expensive, but there are images of those paintings in there. 
that's how he started out. It's totally different to what he's doing now. But it made me think, you know, how many people are out there that want to do something that just isn't seen as fashionable? Yeah. And don't do it because it's too exposing. Or they're worried about the commercial element of it and that they've got to do things that fit with what they see people want for sale. And that makes everybody a little bit more cookie cuttery. Whereas actually the more unique and the more different and the more individual and the more off the wall or identifiable or special or your work is actually that's going to be so much more easier, so much more interesting and interesting for other people as well. Yeah. But there was something you said when we did this last time and didn't record it, (laughs) you said, it's yeah. fine. You said, you know, it's all very well for us to tell people to be freaky and weird and expose their shame and tell people about vulnerability. But what if they work with, a, you know, a high-end gallery that has standards for what, it, what that gallery wants their artists to do or say online? Right. What, what, what do you think about that? I mean, first of all, how often does that happen? I think some galleries do control that and it's more to do with galleries who are a little bit a little bit old school in their thinking and I understand it but it's coming from a place of protect, protecting themselves rather than opening up to the benefits that can come from having people understand more about the artist's work you know it's very similar to this stuff that's been kicking off of the BBC this week which is a, a political journalist well newsreader I guess and she made she made a comment which actually if you listen to the comment I don't think she was making a huge judgment but she was reacting to something that Donald Trump said and there's been a lot of fuss about whether she should simply um, report the facts on the news she was actually pushed into making a comment by her co-presenter and then there's been a fuss that there there shouldn't be any of her viewpoint in it at all and one of the discussions that I was listening to it was saying actually that's the direction that things are going in. We, we, the danger is that we have this area where there is a crossover because the availability of social media, people being able to broadcast, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitter, whether it's, we are almost flooded with different people's personal opinions and viewpoints. Yes, there's an issue where you're trying to kind of untie one thread from another, but it's generally the direction that society is going in, in that when it's, when we're given something, some information in a very dry sense without any personal human context, it becomes a little bit hard for us to relate to it. And therefore, as artists, where that is so much an important part of making your art, I think it's very difficult to show your art in a truly whole context if you can't discuss some of these things and you know, know what goes into it. I mean, I know when I go to an exhibition, there's two layers. There's simply responding visually to what you see in front of you. And then there's another layer, which is where you understand the story behind it, how that artist was working, what their previous life history was. And this, this is relevant, whether it's contemporary art or historical art. When you understand more about it, then you go, oh, oh, okay, I get that makes sense. You know, you understand all about, you know, the society cultural issues at the time and all of a sudden it makes more sense and it has more impact so I think if you have a gallery that's really saying that you can't for example have a blog on your website or uh, they limit what you do on social media I think it makes life really tough yeah yeah I think it does too 
and if you not if you are restricted in that way that's i suppose a choice that you make you balance out either either this gallery is so lucrative for me that this yeah. just makes perfect sense for me to give up this aspect but are they and if they're not that lucrative for you i would argue that there's another way to connect with buyers which is by being more personal connecting individually on social media or wherever in person and revealing more of yourself and your process which leads into a whole other issue of what if you just don't even want to do any of that and you know if it is it something that you can lead yourself into gently in small steps but if you really just feel oh my gosh this sounds terrible i don't want to do any of this <laughs> then i think perhaps you know going down the pursuing gallery route is is a better option yeah because because we're not saying everybody has to reveal all their personal traumas if you're really not comfortable in revealing that stuff but we are saying even just revealing a painting halfway through that's a bit of a mess and a struggle that you're having with it yeah is enough to connect with someone else yeah and there's a very positive side on this so maybe i'm just gonna i'll finish with just reading this so this is from the brene brown book there to lead and she's talking about um uh, an analyst jim hollis describes the ego as the thin wafer of consciousness floating on an iridescent ocean called the soul so basically what we do to protect ourselves so our fear about sharing this is is the is the part that's kind of stopping us from doing it and underneath that is the soul and this is so appropriate for artists he writes we're not here to fit in be well balanced or provide exemplar for others we're here to be eccentric different perhaps strange perhaps merely to add our small piece our little clunky chunky selves to the great mosaic of being as the gods intended we are here to become more and more ourselves and you're not going to do that by trying to fit in and not pushing those little sides of you that are unique and special and different. How's that? I love that. It's we good, should have it? maybe just read Brene Brown's book out loud. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably a lot better at this than we are. <laughs> this week's question comes to us from one of my uh, course participants who I leave anonymous because I'm not sure whether she want, would want me to share this on the podcast or not but she was struggling with making a perfect painting and this is something I'm taking them through I'm challenging them to do things which are uncomfortable and which don't look good and this person said how do I get past the need to just get everything right every time I sit down to make a painting so she's okay with the exercises I give her but then when she goes back to her own work she gets tight and controlled mm. and she, and so I thought it would be helpful to her and others if we talked about how we deal with that so mm. how do you deal with wanting to make a perfect painting it's difficult right because I'm a bit of a perfectionist um yeah <laughs> <laughs> um it, one thing that I've spoken about before, so I'm not going to go into a lot, is, is the moment when I realised that each individual painting didn't have to have it all. You know, that was a big release. I could do what was interesting in this painting and there would be another painting for another thing. But the important part of that is that whatever stage you're at, whatever painting you're working on, drawing you're working on, it's there as part of your personal continuum. And I'm not sure... Yes, I get frustrated when it doesn't go the way I have in my mind. 
I get annoyed when, you know, I want to, I want to do something good and it doesn't come out looking good. It comes out looking awkward or clunky or just not what I imagined or, you know, all of those things. And of course that's frustrating, but did I ever expect it to be good, particularly at the beginning? I don't think I did because, you know, everybody that you look at who has achieved something whether it's it's through practice it's through experience so why would I expect my paintings to be any good when I've only been painting for six months compared to people who have been exploring paint as a medium and how they use it for decades yeah I suppose it's the imagining that the the people you're looking at who've been doing it for decades perhaps you imagine that they never had that clunky ugly bit Perhaps oh, but you, you know they do you know yeah. they do because whenever you look at an art book or you know retrospective of somebody where you go back to those they usually have pages at the beginning of where they were at art school and they have these kind of awkward little still lives and awkward little soft portraits. yeah and you yeah. know the, the voice isn't there yet they ha- it's like you haven't relaxed into it yet and I think that takes a long time yeah yeah I think so too and I think the way I um when I thought about this I thought it's because making perfect paintings is not actually the aim for me. Now, like, of course, I, I love it when a painting turns out well. I don't mean to say I don't. But it's the process of doing it that's the fun part. And it's the, it's the living in the uncertainty of what's going to happen next that's actually the big bonus to me of this, of this doing this for a living. Because the other things I've done for a living in the past, they had rules and ways you did things and processes and and this is it gives us for the rest of our lives however long that is something to explore and do and find out about and if if we could actually sit down and make a perfect painting every time we wouldn't have that and then I don't know we'd have to watch telly or something because if you could do it perfect every time you're just going through the motions aren't you then yeah. I think that's that's the thing. Then then it's just a task rather than something that you're exploring and investigating. And I think doing things and getting them wrong and failure, failure with a very small F, little tiny F, is you know it, it has to be part of has to be part of it. You know whether it's a whole sheet drawing that's a failure, um, or whether it's actually you know failures and moments of failures within paintings themselves are often what make them really interesting to look at. When it's too perfect, again, when it's too perfect, when it's too polished, well, it's not quite so interesting to look at. So getting comfortable with this idea of getting it wrong as part of the sequence, but it's not even that it's part of the sequence that leads to getting it good. It's often the interesting and important part of the sequence in itself I think that that's kind of two different levels isn't it of thinking of perfect and getting things right and getting things wrong yeah and I think that's a really good way of wrapping that up for our anonymous questioner Uh, it's this idea that it's the difference between learning that this is a journey that you're on and thinking that there's a destination that you're going to get to and once you accept that there isn't a destination it gets exciting yeah and you never know what's going to happen next but we do recognize and share in your frustration as well (laughs) (laughs) okay to close with our final segment um 
what's inspired us this week. So I'm going to let you go first with this, Alice. What's okay, inspired gonna, you? Mine's going to be fairly brief because um, actually when we recorded this on Thursday, I was so tired that I didn't really have anything <laughs> inspired me. Although I do realise that in that conversation, actually maybe we'll touch on this when you have your bit. Um, so I, I just enjoyed that driving time, actually. It was horrible and I wouldn't want to do it every week. <laughs> Um, it was very, very tiring. I don't know why it took so long, but it was horrible sleep, horrible, horrible, heavy rain sliding all over the road, both journeys, six and a half hours, six hours of it. But being kept going by music. So I did a couple of things. So I listened to some albums from beginning to end rather than just checking my favorite parts which was quite good and just weird things like coming home particularly having done the first version of this podcast and thought about this you know the bit on a motorway where you're overtaking and you've got to overtake a lorry and you have that part where you you almost can't see and I remember when my husband was teaching me how to drive and it was the first time I'd been on motorway in those conditions and I was like but I can't see and he just kept going put your foot on the accelerator, drive through it, you know, because I just hit the part where I couldn't see because of the spray from the lorry. And I was like, whoa, what's happening here? I don't like this. I feel really unsafe. And he was like, drive through it, drive through it. And of course, now we've got the experience. We know, you know what's on the road ahead of you. You can kind of see it at that moment. You can't, but you've just got to trust and keep going. And that, that feeling of like, isn't that interesting how at that point where I had no no driving experience it was terrifying but you've got to have somebody next to you going this is how you deal with this and now you just keep going through it so even when you can't see what's on the other side and then you're like oh okay on the other side it's only vaguely horrible rain rather than horrible driving making rain. <laughs> but um yeah I don't know I just kind of quite like spotting all those weird things that happen on day-to-day -day motorways I love that analogy that's such a good analogy though and that it's kind of what I was going to say had inspired me because I've changed it a little bit from when we did it the first time and no one will ever know what I said the first time. But I was thinking about how you had inspired me. So you have been my person saying, push on through. And I was thinking about it on two levels. First of all, the workshop, which really was an inspiring idea and quite a simple idea, but one that has just really sparked a lot of thoughts and potential and possibilities for me and if if Alice runs this workshop again which what was it called was it called it, I called it constructed landscapes which at one point was um, the name of a page on my website but it was this idea of taking different elements from from the landscape and recombining them or reusing them in a way that's very personal to you and um what I really wanted people to get out of it was I didn't want everybody to leave with identical sketchbooks because they'd copied me. And there were some conversations that I had with people that really gave them the okay to do things their way, which those were some of my favorite moments of it really. Yeah. But, and it was, it was just the whole idea of taking the landscape apart and then reconstructing it. It's, I mean, in some ways, something I've, been doing but in other ways not so it just sparked lots of new ideas and it reminded me that most times when I go to a workshop or take an online course something exciting comes out of it mm -hmm. and that I need to dedicate more time to that on a regular basis because it always pushes new directions 
but then the second part of it when Alice was in our house my husband was embarrassing her because he was telling her how she'd inspired me to do all of these things um and she she has really inspired and shown me how a woman working alone without a big team can achieve massive things and I don't mean massive as in financially massive I mean massive as in changing other people's lives and impacting other people she has really done that but then even on a less level than that inspiring me at seven o'clock when I was exhausted to keep going let me tell you Alice does not stop <laughs> she just keeps going which and is why I had to go to bed yesterday afternoon when I got <laughs> home by the way there is a limit <laughs> she's like the energizer bunny and we sat down for dinner and she's like oh just let me go write that down jumping up to do some more but really you've just been such an inspiration so I really thank you for that the point about this is that it goes it goes two ways I think you know and this perhaps is part right back to the why it's worth putting yourself out there because you don't know until you do that, you don't know what impact is. That's impact on other people is not, well, kind of is the reason that I'm doing this because I just know that I was stuck without it and I didn't find that there was, or I didn't know that there was anything out there that would help me. But we also talked, and we're going to talk about this in one of our well-planned future episodes. Um, <laughs> just the idea of kind of setting intentions and at the beginning of the year before I suppose this podcast had been a, a little seed of an idea in both our minds and I had written down basically in my book for this year collaboration with a big circle around it I didn't even know what it meant but I knew that that's what I wanted to be something that I brought more into my business kind of world I guess and I didn't know what that meant at the time but that's what I found with having you this year we do our separate things we do things together but it's really nice to find somebody else who you can kind of bounce ideas off who sees some things the same and some things in a very different way so thank you You're and welcome. for the and for the gin and tonic <laughs> yeah at some point during the planning we were just I was just saying something and Alice said shall we have a gin and tonic before we discuss this yeah <laughs> That's it for us this week. Um, do go to my Instagram account, which is Louise Fletcher underscore art, to have a look at a sketch, the sketchbook that I compiled during Alice's workshop. It'll give you a good idea of what we were doing over that week. Also, every time we do this podcast, we post the episodes on each of our websites and you can find longer show notes there. So when we link to things like the Brene Brown book and all the other things we've been talking about, you can find that on our websites. So mine is louisefletcherart.com and there's a tab there for artists where podcast resides and Alice's is alicesheridan.com. That's it for us. We'll see you again next week. Bye. See you then. Bye-bye. I think uh lost my train of thought because I was typing notes. Um I was gonna say, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't know what we do with the rest of our lives. Yeah, because if you could do it perfect because if you could do it per We're breathing. <laughs> Well, what? <laughs> <laughs>
cannot stop that. <laughs> I don't know what the point of that is, really. Just say, lots going on. Okay, so lots going on. That was so big. <laughs> it won't be once it's It'll put together. Big.